Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Okay, good morning, everyone. It's good to be bringing the Word of God this morning and to be just continuing this series that Mark started last week. Mark said he might even be watching today. Come on, Mark, get back to your holiday. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Sitting by the pool listening to me, what, you know, what would you prefer? I'll give you a choice. Right, okay, yes, that's me gadget. Okay, excellent. I'm glad you agreed with that. Um, right, here we go. <laughs> yeah, so we continue our series, um, which was presented a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday, but the values of which we've been bringing forth over a number of weeks and months before. And um, I'm just going to remind you, my subject this morning is the gospel of the kingdom, and we're going to be looking at aspects of the kingdom over the next several weeks. So there will be some overlap, but that's important because the kingdom is central to our understanding of who we are and what God is doing in this world today. So there will be some overlap and different aspects that will be coming out. But this is from our vision that was presented, as I say, a couple of weeks ago. And it says this, and it shows you the central place of kingdom in that. Okay, To bring a growing kingdom influence and transformation to every area of our lives, community, and beyond. Okay, so you can see how important kingdom is in that whole thing. And I picked out from the third page, there's a PDF file on the website, and it's been sent out as well with our newsletter um, about our vision. And I picked this out, just a sentence from the third page. It says, Jesus' principal message was the good news about the kingdom of God, which was capable of transforming everything about a person, their community, and their world. And that's what we're going to be touching and starting off with today, but we're going to be looking at more of it. Now, what is the kingdom? That's a very important question. And I'm going to look at three today. I mean, that's quite a big area. I know. What is the kingdom? How do I become part of this kingdom? And what is my individual role in the kingdom? I'm not going to cover everything on that today. As I say, it's going to be rolling out over the next few weeks. But it's very important for us to understand what the kingdom is. You know, if you're going to be part of something, you have to understand what it is, don't you? You have to understand where where it's going and how you fit into it. So it's very important that we understand that to become an effective member of that kingdom. Because something that uh, Rob said um, a couple of weeks ago was that the kingdom is not just about salvation, but it's also about lordship. It's about the lordship of Christ as well. Okay. So what is the kingdom? Here is a definition for you. Okay. You may have heard it before. The kingdom is where the king reigns. It's very simple. It's where the king reigns. Now, sometimes we can um, look at the kingdom and not see it. Now, there were many in the Bible who didn't understand the kingdom. They asked Jesus questions about it. They looked at what was happening. And sometimes it's helpful for us to see what mistakes they made, you know, what is not the kingdom, by hearing what they said and the sort of questions they asked Jesus and the way Jesus explained it to them. So we're going to look at a couple of people that made mistakes that didn't really understand. And the first person we're going to look at is this man here. It's not a real picture. It is Pontius Pilate. Um, the text that relates to this is John 18, 28 to 38. And it's when Jesus was arrested and taken before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Now, he was a tough guy. Okay, he had grown up through a, a strong Roman cutthroat political system. 
and he had risen to the top, well, almost to the top. He wasn't Caesar, but he was very, very senior. It was a, a political military system which was tough to survive in. So he had gone up through that system, and he had been given governorship of Judea, one of the most difficult provinces. You know, there was difficult religious tensions, political tensions, all sorts of things going on there. But it was a very vital area because it was the land bridge between Africa and Asia. So whoever the Romans put in there had to be a guy who knew what he was doing. So Pontius Pilate knew all about politics. He knew all about uh, military power. And he didn't really understand Jesus. You know, probably a good picture of him looking at this man who's been arrested, standing before him thinking, I don't know what's going on here. You know, he's looking at a man and he thinks, this guy hasn't got an army. He doesn't own any property. He doesn't have any wealth. All he seems to have is the the clothes upon his back, and there's not much left of them after a a Roman scourging. You know, is this person, who who is he? And uh, on our next slide, it shows you some of that conversation, just verses 36 and 37, with this conversation between Pilate and Jesus. And Pilate is just trying to understand what Jesus, where he's coming from. Jesus answered him and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Judean leaders. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So Pilate said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world so that I might testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. But still, Pilate didn't really get it. How could this person be a king when he didn't appear to actually rule anything? He didn't appear to have anything under him at all. Now, Jesus, is when he said, my kingdom is not of this world, it doesn't mean it's not in this world. It just means it's not on the terms that the world would understand a kingdom to be, particularly in the scenario there. Okay, here's another conversation that uh, Jesus has with the Pharisees and the scribes, the expert of the religious law. And he says this. Now, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, Luke 17, 20 to 21. Now, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with signs to be seen, nor will they say, look here or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. If you go to Westminster, you will see the Houses of Parliament. I think they were there last time I checked. Um, but you would also see lots of other buildings as well. Now, this you don't have to see the detail, but you can understand the idea of where we are in central London there. Now, buildings that are on there are the House of Parliament, uh, Buckingham Palace. There is all the government estate as well as it's spread out on the law courts and everything. And then if you look here, this is Washington, D.C. looks a bit more tidy um, in straight lines. <laughs> but there's the White House in the centre. And then you've got the Senate building and the, uh, the, the Library of Congress, the Supreme Court. These are visible signs of a, not so much a kingdom, but of government. Okay? They are, in, in our case, it's a constitutional monarchy. And in America's case, it's a republic. They say they're a pure democracy, whatever. So you can see there in those maps, and if you go there yourself, you can see the visible signs of government, the visible signs of of how they rule things and how things happen. And that is what they were looking for. That's what the Pharisees were looking for. That's what Pilate was looking for. He was saying, show me what the visible signs are. And so, yeah, there's some pictures as well. I've only been to one, one of them. <laughs> but there's the Scottish Parliament there and the Welsh Assembly, of course, the White House, etc. There are the visible signs of these people who, who think they know what they're doing. I'm not sure if they really do know what they're doing, especially in our country at the moment. But anyway... Um, but you have all sorts of types of government, don't you? You have democracies, confederations, autocracies, 
dictatorships, republics, and they all have buildings and paperwork and economies and systems that say this is the government and this how it works. And that's what people are looking for. But actually, Jesus' kingdom is not like this. It's very, very different. One day it will be physically obvious, but at the moment to many, it's not. But actually, it is. If you're looking in the right place, there is tangible evidence of the kingdom of God, as we will look at here. You know, one day Jesus will return to Jerusalem and he will reign from there. That's what the Bible teaches us. One day he will return and he actually literally reign. Every eye will see him. But until that day, the kingdom is still here, just as real as then, growing, just as tangible if you know what to look for. Now, here's going back to those words that Jesus said to the Pharisees and the scribes. He said, the kingdom of God is in your midst, or another translation says, among you. So I want you to imagine the scribes and the Pharisees, and Jesus says, it's in your midst, and they're standing here, and he's standing there, and they're thinking, where? Where is the kingdom? We can't see it. You know what he was saying? He said, here it is. He was the king. It's here. What you've seen me do and say, and what you've seen my disciples begin to do, is the kingdom. It's happening. It's with you right now in the midst of you. There are things going on which they don't see, but the kingdom was there. It's already among them. You know, the ultimate action of Jesus' kingdom, or at least the king of that kingdom, was his servanthood. Most kings don't come to serve. They probably say they do, but they're not really. But Jesus came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That was his ultimate act of kingship, was to die. To die for us, for you and for me, and to rise again, of course. Something that maybe we need to model as well if we're going to be kingdom people. Thing is, we like to see the tangible, don't we? Okay, there's a bit of homework for you. How's that? Mm, homework. Um, <laughs> how long is it since you've been given homework? Unless I'm younger, people. <laughs> but there you go. Parables of the kingdom. Okay, if you read Matthew 13, okay, seven times in Matthew 13, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, it's like. So these are parables. He's saying these are some of the values. These are some of the actions. These are some of the things that happen in the kingdom of heaven. Now, when it says kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing. Um, for Matthew's audience, who were predominantly Jewish, he's using heaven because they didn't like God's name used too frequently. So he calls it the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. So there are all these parables. The sower, the weeds, the growth through the mustard seed and the leaven, the treasure in a field and the pearl of great price. And then there are also other references in Matthew as well. 18, chapter 18, 20, 22, 25, where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. So that's good homework. If you want to understand the kingdom more, is to read through um, chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel in particular, because then it will give you some of the values and the views of the kingdom that Jesus spoke about. So I'm not going to read them all through today, but there you go. That's your, uh, that's your homework. <laughs> so let's look at that second question I had on my uh, slide there. And that was, how do I become part of the kingdom? How do I become part of that kingdom? Well, here is an early beginning of that in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. It says here, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's at the beginning of the gospel. That's at the beginning of this invitation to be part of the kingdom of God. Repent of your sins. Now, we are all sinners. We are all separated from God because of our very nature and who we are. It doesn't matter how good you've been or how bad you've been. We are separated from God. And that sin has cut us off from fellowship with God. 
You know, we need to repent. Repent means to turn from your sin, to give up on that life, to turn around and to follow Jesus. And the second one here is, is equally as important. This is um, Jesus, and he's speaking to the religious people, speaking to the Jewish people today, the religious rulers who thought they had it all right. And he says, I'll tell you this. This is just after he's interacted with a Gentile who's demonstrated faith. And he says, I'll tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For that sin in our lives, there is a price to be paid. And every one of us here is an eternal being. You're all going to live forever. Okay, the body might wear out a bit. Mine feels like it is sometimes. Um, but I know that, you know, this tent's going to leave. This, this body's going to leave one day, and I will get a new one. Um, but for all of us here, we have to count the cost. And we have to say, right, where's my future going to be? If we look at this next text I've got here, in Matthew 5 and verse 20, Jesus says these words. And it's directed to us. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what? They were super religious people. They really knew how to do their stuff. They never did anything else except read the Bible and apply every law and every angle of the law they could in their own lives. They were super righteous people. I could never be as righteous as that and neither can you. No matter if I try all my life. In fact, the law shows us that we're, we're hopeless at living before God right. But actually, you can be righteous before God. Do you know why? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus died in your place and in my place. So that I know that when I leave this world, I will go off to be with Jesus because of Christ's righteousness. Because I know that Jesus died for me and I've accepted the lordship, his lordship in my life. You know, Billy Graham said something. He said it, and he wrote it down as a eulogy, and they read it at his funeral. And he said, he said, don't mourn for me that I've died. He said, I'm more alive now than I've ever been. And it's true. When we die, if we know Jesus, if he's the Lord of our life, we will go into the king. Well, we're in the kingdom of heaven already, but we will go into an everlasting relationship with him. And that's a challenge for us today. That's the most important thing I'm saying today to you. I don't know where you are, but, but we need to have that relationship with God. We need to take him as Lord of our life. We'll never be in the kingdom. We'll never understand it. And we will have a Christless eternity without it. In Matthew 20, I'm going to look at grace here. Okay? So I'm going to look at Matthew 20. I'm not going to read it through, but it tells a story of a landowner who has some land, and it needs to be worked. The harvest has come. And so he goes into the marketplace and he says to these guys, hey, guys, come and work for me in my harvest field. I'll give you a denarii. Let's say it's 50 quid. Okay. I'll give you 50 quid. Come and work in my field. Okay. And they go and work in the field. Then a bit later in the day, maybe about lunchtime, he goes out again. And he says, hey, guys, uh, come and work in my field. I'll give you 50 quid. So off they come. They're going to work in the field. Then it tells us later on in the day, when there's only an hour's work left to do, he says to these other guys, he goes in the marketplace, they're standing around, and he says, hey guys, come and work in my field. I'll give you 50 quid. Now, at the end of the day, they all line up for their wages, and they all get 50 quid. Now, if you're putting that up in, in human logic, you're thinking, this is a bit unfair. These guys have worked all day, and these guys have only worked one hour. Why have they all got the same money? And of course, 
They do grumble in, in that, that story in Matthew 20. They do grumble to the landowner. Now in that picture, the landowner is God and we are the workers and the grumblers, I'm afraid, as well, because we would, in human terms, say that. So we ask a couple of questions about that story. What is just and fair? And what is God like from this parable? What does it tell us about him? You know, it tells us that God has immeasurable goodness, generosity, and mercy. None of us deserve to be in the kingdom. None of us deserve salvation. No matter how hard we've worked, no matter how righteous we think we are, no matter how super spiritual we think we are, we've done all the churchy stuff, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. We all don't deserve to be in the kingdom, yet God, in his mercy, invites everyone to be in the kingdom. And there may be people you look at and you say, oh, these people, you know, look at their life. They've done this and they've done that. You know, I ain't done that. I've always worked for a living, all that stuff. You know, we, we get on those things, don't we, sometimes? Um, but, um, but God says, no, none of you deserve this, but all of you will benefit from it if you will just accept and come into the kingdom. So it tells us from there that God has immeasurable grace. He welcomes all and everyone can share in the blessings of being in his kingdom and ultimately in heaven as well. This is unlimited grace. It says in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. Membership of the kingdom of God is through grace and it is a gift. You know, if you're a visitor here today, this may seem, wow, this is, I've never heard this sort of stuff before, but you know, there is a decision to be made. Are we going to follow Jesus? Do we want to be part of that kingdom? Do we want eternal life or not? Let's look at our next and third question. What is my individual role in the kingdom? What is my individual role? And we're going to visit some of those elements that I've spoken of just now. But first of all, we have a quiz. Is that good? And when you have a quiz, it means that you take part as well. So you don't have to listen to me, at least for a few seconds. So I'm going to ask you, what happens when the kingdom is demonstrated, okay? What happens? I'm going to give you a starter for 10. Healing, okay, because we've already spoken about that. What else happens when the kingdom of God is demonstrated? Immeasurable love. Immeasurable love, thank you. Oh, that's big, isn't it? Immeasurable love, thank you, Norman. Transformation, great, that's fantastic. Somebody said that here. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, thank you. Any other? Come on, come on. Kindness, Kindness yeah, fantastic. Oh, they're all coming out. Salvation, great, thank you. Love, Love, yep, excellent. Lives are changed. changed. Saved, sorry. Lives are saved, fantastic, yep. That's good. Peace, thank you, thank you very much. Any others? There's no prizes, I'm afraid. (laughs) You stopped now. There's no motivation now, is there? Okay, you're getting the idea. You're getting the idea of these things. That's just a few of them, and there are a lot more. These are demonstrations of the kingdom. So do you see things like that happening? Do you see them in your life? Do you see them in the lives of others? Then you're beginning to see the kingdom. You're beginning to see what happens when the king reigns in people's lives. You're beginning to spot the kingdom. Now, um, in Luke chapter 11 and verse 20, well, in chapter 11, Jesus is casting a demon out of a mute, okay? And the mute begins to speak. So that's incredibly dramatic, isn't it? And um, then he, he teaches from that. When that happens, he teaches. And he says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Speaking to the crowd there. His reference to the finger of God is that the kingdom of God is being realized 
are manifested. In other words, the kingdom of God is happening. Now, we may not get involved in casting out demons, but we may do. Um, But actually, when we do kingdom things, it's being manifested. It's a manifestation of the kingdom of God amongst us and in the local community as well. You know, when there is healing and forgiveness and love and all those sort of stuff that we just called out, when there's that and a lot more, then that is evidence of the kingdom of God happening. So it is there. It is possible to see it. It is tangible. And the challenge to you, I'm giving you this week the challenge, is to say, are you going to see the kingdom of God demonstrated in your life this week? Are you going to see it? And where are you going to see it? Because that is what it's about. It's about us getting involved in the kingdom. You know, Jesus ministered the kingdom with power and he demonstrated the kingdom as well. And there are a couple of references there for you where it talks about what he did, healing and all that sort of stuff. And um, it's very important. You know, the kingdom of God is God doing what he wants to do through his people. So we are submitted to him as the king, as citizens of that, uh, that kingdom, doing what he wants us to do. You know, there is a bit of a tension between um, grace and sovereignty here. You know, God's grace, but the fact that we are laborers in the vineyard as well. There is something to be done, okay? So how do we balance that? Well, I'm not going to go into that. I'm probably going to do it in a couple of weeks' time, the sovereignty and grace issue, because it is interesting to look at that sort of tension. But I'd like to look at a profile of an individual who was a pioneer of the kingdom of God in the New Testament. And um, someone who Jesus held in high esteem. He was, in a sense, an Old Testament person, but he, he straddles across the two. And um, Jesus says some wonderful things about him. And um, I think you probably picked up who he is by now. Um, the, the, if you like, there'd been not so much 400 years of silence, but between the Old Testament and the New, there was a 400-year period. And it's almost as if the Holy Spirit was holding his breath, <laughs> ready to bring this new thing into place that would impact the whole world. And um, Jesus said this about John the Baptist. He said, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. They are strong words, aren't they? Other versions say the kingdom of heaven is taken by force. That's another translation we see there. Now, John the Baptist was a bridgehead. He broke through where others hadn't been. He's not the sort of person you'd, even, you'd like to have for dinner, to be honest with you. Now, if you're having dinner this afternoon, you think, should we invite John the Baptist? No, no, no. He can go with so-and-so. Um, he was an unusual character. He spoke openly and clearly. He upset people. Um, but he was someone who Jesus held in high esteem because he was a pioneer, because he broke through in certain areas. Now, Matthew 11 is not about violent, people being violent on God's behalf. Now, some people have done that in the past. They're called the Crusades and the pogroms and, and the Inquisition and all that sort of stuff. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean Christians go out and kill people because they don't want to be Christians. It doesn't mean that at all. And it also is not talking about persecution. Some people say, oh, it's the church being persecuted. It's not. It's not in that sense of what it means. It means to forcefully advance, in the Greek, to forcefully advance, to take something by the scruff of the neck, really, and to take it forward. It's an it's a active verb, and it talks about the progressive reign of the kingdom of God. John the Baptist was first, and others have taken it by force in that sense and moved it forward. Now, what we have to do is look back into the Old Testament to see where this was prophesied. Okay, If you look in Micah, 
chapter 2 and verse 13, it says this, The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. Now, the fulfillment of John the Baptist's ministry is seen from Micah chapter 2 and verse 13. This describes John's ministry and Jesus as well. Okay? The Hebrew there, botez, is, um, is someone who breaks through, someone who just brings a bridgehead and smashes through something. Okay? That's where the, the picture is. Now, I'm going to um, give you another um, picture here. Embarrassing Elizabeth, my wife. This is a, a sheep pen. This is Nazareth, actually. This is actually Nazareth. It's a reconstruction of a first century sheep pen. It's quite an elaborate one. But um, the background to this one is that in Old Testament times, shepherds were very different from they are today. You know, you go out for a drive in the country today and you see all the nice white sheep in the field, don't you? And there's no one there. They're just eating the grass. No one seems to look after them. But that isn't the model of a first century shepherd because a first century shepherd would live with the sheep. He would travel with them all the time. They would stay close to him. They would hear his voice. Someone else said that, sheep, hear my voice. They would know his smell. They would be completely dependent upon him and they would follow him around because he would have to protect them and he would have to find pasture for them. He would have to take them through dangerous places sometimes. It sounds like a psalm, doesn't it? Sounds like a psalm. Um, so that is the picture of the first century shepherd. Now, of a nighttime where there's danger, what he would do is he would bring the sheep into a place, maybe a, a grove where there's trees or where there's a, a, some rocks, and he would build a temporary wall. Okay, He'd get rocks and he'd get pieces of wood, and he would pen the sheep in, pen them right in, and then he himself would get in there with them, and he would build the pen around, and sometimes he would be actually part of the fence. He would be the gate to the fence, okay? So there's the shepherd penned in with the, with the sheep, and he is the gate. And Jesus said, I am the gate, or I am the door. That's what he's referring to. He's got his sheep with him in the pen in a place of safety. And then when the morning comes, the sheep are restless. They've been there all night, and so they want to get out, they're hungry, they were drinking. So the shepherd would literally break open the gate. He would break down the wall, break down the fence and lead out the sheep and they would go with him. So that's the picture we get of John the Baptist, of that violent take it by force thing, is that John is broken through with the kingdom. And as he leads it out, as we know from the Gospels, John's disciples became Jesus' disciples. And so the king, on our scripture there, the king, the king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. Our king and our Lord will lead the sheep on. That is the beginning of the kingdom of God in the Gospels. John, the pioneer, Jesus, the Lord who takes the kingdom on and it begins to grow. And it's, it's, so we get this term, everyone's forcing their way into it, it says in the NIV. The kingdom of God is by people who actively pursue it. Okay, it's not a passive thing. It's not non-active. Now, the question for us is, how well do we know our shepherd? Do we know his voice? Do we depend on him for all of our sustenance and our guidance and our protection? Have we got that sort of relationship with Jesus, who is the good shepherd? Because that's how we are going to bring the kingdom to be, to be in relationship with Jesus. And um, we must get that sort of sense, that activeness. In, in John, sorry, Matthew 6, 33, it says, but seek or pursue First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, being a member of the kingdom and taking it forward, forward is, is, is an active thing. We pursue it. We pursue it in our lives and in the lives of others. There are no seat fillers. There's nobody just along for the ride. 
There's no backseat drivers or passengers in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is active and, and in a sense, violent in that sort of way. It's, you know, it's, not, it's not meant to be negatively when I say this, but if we get up off our backsides and get on with it, <laughs> that's what we need to do. That's what it's saying. That's what the kingdom is, that we get out there and we do the kingdom. We live the kingdom. We don't depend on other people to do it. And people who, who take the kingdom forward have an intensity, have a purpose, have a plan. They may not know the next day because they're living by faith, but there is intensity in taking the kingdom forward that John had and that Jesus had. And if you think of the disciples after the ascension of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the intensity the disciples had in the book of Acts, no one was going to stop them. And it says in the book of Acts, they perceived that they had been with Jesus. There was something that had come from the king that had been put into their life. And they, had, they carried that intensity of the kingdom to make it develop and to make it grow. You know, why was Jesus, I don't like the word, successful? Why did it work with Jesus? It's because he was submitted to the Father. It's because he said, I hear what the Father says and I do it. And that's what we have to do as well. We have to hear what the Father says and we have to do it. And uh, becoming a subject of the King will transform our lives and will bring transformation to other people's lives as well. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, it says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. We should see the power of the kingdom of God in our lives and in the lives of others as well. That's what I want to see in my life. Hope you do too. Hope you want to see that kingdom of God advancing, not being carried along, but being part of it. There were some places in the Bible where Jesus said to people in conversation, he said, "Um, you're not far from the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven is near because he discerned in someone's life that God was doing a work. Now, I want to challenge you with this. I want to say this week, are you seeing kingdom things happening in your life? Not churchy things, okay? The church is really important, okay? Because the church is the expression of the kingdom. He works through the church, and that's the only way he's working. You know, there's no mavericks, there's no lone rangers, okay? We're all, some of you may know that I have a ministry, so I travel quite a lot and speak, but I'm submitted to local church here. I'm submitted to the local leaders, because that is how God works. He works through church. That's his revelation, that's what he tells us. Um, but what I'm saying here is don't wait for the church to do it. Don't think, oh, if I could just get a leader to speak to them or if I could get this super spiritual person, they don't exist, by the way, um, to speak to them, then everything will be all right. No, you do it. You're the subjects of the king. You are part of the kingdom. So this week, begin to discern things, and the weeks ahead, not just this week, um, things in your life that are kingdom things. Do kingdom things this week and begin to see it in other people's lives as well. You know, there was a friend of ours who... um, we were telling her about Jesus a couple of years ago and she went to an Alpha course and we had a long-term friendship with her. And one day I was in the traffic lights in my car, sitting there, and she came around the corner, like you're coming right in front here. And um, as I looked at her, I said to her, she's in the kingdom. I could see in her eyes, even in that few seconds that she went round, that there was a change in her life because she had accepted Jesus as Saviour. I didn't know that, but I just got this revelation that something had happened in her spirit that had changed her. She had become a child of the king. And so we too, as we advance the kingdom, as we take our place in the kingdom and do kingdom things, we too can see the kingdom affecting other people's lives as well. We want to see that, don't we? We want to see transformation for people who are struggling. We want to do something about the injustice of slavery that Luke mentioned about that seminar on Tuesday. What can we do about that? Get involved. 
get involved and build the kingdom, advance the kingdom. We cannot sit down and it just happens. Okay, we're in grace, but we cannot sit down. We need to grab the kingdom and take it forward in our lives. You know, we're not worthy in our own way, but God, through, through the blood of Jesus upon the cross, he brings us into that kingdom and gives us a place. All of us here, there are no exceptions. No exceptions. We're all privileged to be part of that kingdom, advancing it and seeing other people transformed as well. Does that sound good? It sounds good to me. <laughs> We're part of the kingdom. Let's see kingdom things this week and then come back next week and say, this happened. This happened this week. The kingdom in my family, in my community, in the place I work. Let's see it happen this week. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we do thank you and bless you. We thank you that we are part of your kingdom because of Jesus. And that, Lord, you have a purpose and a plan for us. You have kingdom things for us to do. They're not things of this world in that sense, but they are tangible things because they make a difference in people's lives. Lord, we want to make a difference in Bromley, in Beckenham, in a local area, in Shortland, in all these areas where we live and further afield. Lord, we want to see the borough of Bromley impacted by the kingdom. Lord, help us to do that as a church and as the people of God in your precious name. Amen.